Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the show. On behalf of Disciple of City, I'm Todd Carlton, and this is the Toddcast. Friends, no matter where you are in the world, you can access a video series that will equip you with simple tools to share the gospel and make disciples. We even have coaches that will help guide you along the way. More information on that in upcoming episodes. Find this video series and so much more at everydisciplesent.ca. And don't forget all the usual stuff. Follow Disciple of City on Facebook, the Toddcast underscore DAC on Instagram, and download the United Hive app. Now, my guest today is an ordained pastor. He's also a speaker that after this tour will have logged over 3,000 speaking engagements. He has shared the stage with the likes of For King and Country, Skillet, Flyleaf, John Christ, and so much more. From the Rock House Ministries, please welcome Mike Gordon. Thanks for having me. Hey, bro. Great intro. I love it. Oh, thanks for coming in, man. Thanks for coming down. Oh, I really appreciate you having me. This is so cool. I'm on the tour right now, and it just works out great to pop in and yeah, it's hang out with you for today. Yeah, and I opened the door, and I thought I was looking at the mirror in my closet. <laughs> we look very similar. And maybe we should start a band, man. Or a modeling agency. You know, one of two good-looking men with black beanies. <laughs> Long hair. Oh, dude. <laughs> I love it. So yeah, man, big speaking engagement you're starting on. Um, how many cities are you hitting yeah, up? I think it's like 77, maybe 78 different cities and towns, oh. all in Canada. Um, so some towns are maybe more villages, you know, like, you know, Canada doesn't have that many cities. But yeah, we're going literally going from um, like Labrador, Newfoundland, all the way to Vancouver Island. So oh. Started um, near the end of March. You know, a few days ago, yeah, and I go until I think June thirteenth right now, but that might be extended. There's a few group now reaching out, going, "Hey, how do we get added to the lineup?" And uh, but yeah, speaking pretty much every day. I think it might be four days off, but speaking almost every day until uh, June, and that might extend a little bit longer. So, wow. but I appreciate you, you know, giving me the time as I'm kind of coming through the area a little bit, yeah. you know. Um, well, no, man, I appreciate you squeezing the time out to oh, come no. to our studio. Did you find it okay? We're kind of hidden in here. I did. I won't lie. Like <laughs> Google map maybe took me to a different home down the road. But, yeah. You know, you have little numbers in front of your house. So I kind of bailed on Google and did it the old fashioned way and started looking at your actual number and address and yeah, not too complicated. I yeah. Well, it. disciple city, they wanted the studio a little bit hidden. So that's the way she goes. Eh? I love it. No, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> well, dude, I'm, I'm really curious to find out how someone becomes a speaker that hits up 70 cities between now and, and June. Um, I, I understand from our, our, uh, Toddcast investigative team, <laughs> looking into your uh, history that um, you encountered Jesus or you came to faith in your last year of high school on a mission trip in what was at the time one of the most dangerous cities in the world. So what city was that? And share that story with us, bro. Yeah. So that's just a crazy story in itself. That was a city in Mexico, just south of uh, El Paso, Texas, just over the border called Juarez. And uh, this city at the time was very run by the drug cartel. Um, 
literally around that time were considered one of the most dangerous cities in the world. What makes you wonder why Canadian youth pastor <laughs> would plan a mission trip <laughs> down in that city at that time, right? So take a bunch of kids. Let's go down here. Why not? And um, <laughs> maybe it, it was just a weird situation, but literally life changing. So to even backtrack on how I got into that situation, um, like I wasn't a church kid growing up, and my family they may have identify with being Christian, if that makes sense. Um, and what I mean by that is if they had a checklist of different faith and religions or if they were atheists, whatever, if they had to check one, they may have checked Christian. Yeah. You know, um, does that mean they are born again Christian following Jesus? I would not say so. It's just how I was brought up or whatever. But they would identify with maybe going to church as a, you know, as a child or, or whatever. So all that to say, um, I had a pretty rough high school life. Yeah, because you, you got kicked out at I, 14, I eh? got kicked out of my house at 14. So uh, Which is super young, man. A little young, yeah. And I'm obviously, I was very naive. I did, I did not know my rights or the laws or how that worked. But a long story short, at 13 years old, my parents broke up. And my mom wasn't being faithful in the marriage. And then the following year, she thought it might be a great idea for her boyfriend to move in and just replace my dad. Where in my mind, as a 13 or 14 year old child, like that person ruined my life. That person was the enemy. So I did not get along with him. About 14 kicked out of my house in Toronto, uh, in Scarborough, the east part of Toronto. And it was literally the following day, the police gave me a garbage bag. You got five minutes to grab your stuff. Wow. And that was kind of it. So after that. Sorry, the police? The police, yeah. Told you you had five minutes to get your stuff. Yeah. Wow. So I don't know, again, naive. I I, I did what I'm told. I eventually moved in with my dad. um, and, And really throughout high school, I just don't think I cared about anything. Um, and I also had a lot of freedom. So with all my, with all the respect to my dad, he did not really care who I hung out with, when I came home, um, what I was doing, which sounds like the dream for every high school student. You know, sometimes you hear them go, man, I wish my parents did not care. I wish I can do that or, you know, have no restrictions. I'm the product of someone who grew up that way. And I'll say to anyone listening, if you're young, if you have a parent who cares about you, like, thank God. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was a product of doing whatever I wanted. It didn't matter. And that just led me down the wrong road in my high school life. To near the end of high school, I was just a broken kid. Yeah. Like, I was just empty. Um hated people i just i was so antisocial. i wasn't a you know a joker like i am now it's just super i don't know um i think i had a chip on my shoulder you know i think i had trouble trusting people and uh, and i think everything i turned to in the culture at that point whether it's partying alcohol some drugs money whatever it is um it did not do it for me 
Now, I don't think I knew what I was looking for, but you do realize in life what you're doing isn't helping, (laughs) you know, or this isn't fulfilling me the way I thought it could or would, or maybe at the end of the day, this is not making me happy, you know? And uh, I think I started coming to that realization near the end of high school that all this stuff I'm doing, it just, it's killing me. Um, and around that time, one of my good friends, Daryl, Daryl, um, I tell him this all the time, so if he's listening, this is not a surprise, but Daryl was my friend by default. So a friend by default is at a young age, when your mom and parents are friends with their parents, you're forced to hang out with the kids, you know, like, <laughs> so Daryl, it wasn't so much we were friends, it was our parents were friends. So Daryl was my friend by default. I was forced to hang out with him. Um, and we joke about this. We're like four years old or whatever. So we, we grew up knowing each other. Daryl started going to church down the road from my high school. He somehow knew or found out that's where all the hot girls were. How did he find this out? I have no idea. This is like pre-Instagram, Facebook, creeping time. You know, I don't know. <laughs> to find that out, you have to be a giant creeper, like maybe standing, you know, in a church parking lot going, oh, she's cute. I don't know how he found this information out. God works in different ways, right? So Daryl started going to the church, and then he told me, hey, every Saturday evening, that church runs my high school gym and opens the gym up for everyone. Mm. And they would play basketball or typically basketball. Now, um, I don't look like an athlete in any way, shape, or form. Like, I look pretty athletically challenged. But <laughs> sports was my big thing, right? So, you know, I, I played. I was a starter on my high school team. I played against a guy who went to the NBA. Like, baseball. I played at the Rogers Center. Like, I, oh, I wow. was just a big sports person. Um, I, very shocking. You know, very shocking if you see me in person. But, um so when Daryl told me about basketball at my high school, I could not care less who was running it, whether if it is a church, whether it's like a retirement home, I couldn't care less. I just wanted to play basketball any way I could and anywhere I could. So anyways, um, I, started, I started to attend basketball. I just went in there to play. I did not care about the church aspect of it, but... The youth pastor at the time, Rob, every week I came, he would invest in me a little bit. And when I say a little bit, I mean in very simple questions. How was your week? How are you doing? How are you really doing? Very simple questions. But to me, I did not really have anyone else in my life who was asking those questions? Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't have your traditional, we come home and have a family dinner at one thing night and how's your day? How was your test? How was your basketball game? I did not really have that, um, especially at that point near the end of high school. So to have Rob showing some interest in my life, at first, honestly, it was a little bit weird. I did not grow up in a church culture when you have a 29-year-old, you know, yeah. investing in a 17-year-old. You know, I know that's normal in church culture. Non-church culture, a little weird. Yeah. You know, um, I don't know what this guy's all about. What, what do you want? Yeah, what do you want? <laughs> and then even more weird when he says, hey, we should go out for lunch sometime. I'm like, 
okay, you know, and, and, and I, I joke around with this because we're so used to that in church culture. We understand, you know, the heart behind it and, you know, the innocent behavior behind it, but... I wasn't a church kid, yeah. you know, like why is it old man, by the way, 29, not old in any way, shape or form, but when you're 17, why is an old man inviting me out for lunch or asking me how I'm doing? It took me a few weeks or maybe even a few months to go, oh, like this guy just sincerely cares, like, and, and just a good person. And so I started answering and sharing and started to go out for lunch with him and um, it's built up a trust. I think that's the best way to put it. Just trust in this man. Yeah. So when he eventually um, invited me to church, so he, so he knew where I was as um, a non-believer, and I think he was more focused on, you know, building the trust up, building up that relationship, um, showing that he sincerely cares. Yeah. And I think he was patient, so it wasn't like, oh, now he's going out for lunch. Now let's lay the gospel on him. I think because we were walking together. I think he was being very cautious on when to, or how to bring that part into my life. Yeah. You know, cause I, you know, like anyone, he could have been scared. Well, if I share too much, Mike, maybe he'll bail, you know, maybe we lose him. So he was very big on the investing in the person. So when he invited me to church, there was enough of a trust established there. So I show up at church and the church I went to, um, they had two services. The first one was a very traditional Presbyterian church service. You know, where a pastor comes out wearing like a snuggie or whatever he's wearing, like a big giant robe, and and <laughs> and uh, you know, everyone's singing hymns and you know, holding on to these big giant heavy books. Um, and I had no idea what a hymn book was versus a Bible. And they're all like in the pews in front of you. So I'm holding the Bible looking for like, you know, amazing grace, whatever, you know, if it's not in there, wrong book. I had no idea <laughs> why in the world he brought me to like a senior's home, you know, first service, traditional. When the second service <laughs> was contemporary, guitars, drums, young people. Oh, I wow. can't understand why he thought service one was my vibe. <laughs> Did he bring you to both or he just brought you to the one? First? Oh, yeah. Well, he told me to come to the one <laughs> and then I stayed around for the second one. But I still remember my first church service looking around going, not knowing what the pastor was talking about. Um, trying to see if there's any young people with Daryl Wright. Are there any cute girls here? Because all I see was like people in their 80s, you know, they're, you know, maybe they were cute at one point, but not anymore, right? So <laughs> I'm just confused about the whole situation. Um, but what happened was because I had that trust established with our youth pastor, Rob, um, and when I went to the contemporary service and actually saw the people my age who are living a different life than I am, um, and not just living a different life, but it felt like, it seemed like they had something I did not have. So I mentioned how I felt like this empty teenager, this broken teenager. It seemed like they had a life, a joy, a peace, um, whatever it was. Now, obviously, now I can look back and know exactly what it was. But in that moment, there's something in most of them that made me go, huh, 
and the fact that they were my age and high school students and whatnot just made me go, okay, well, I'm going to keep coming. <laughs> I'll keep giving church a shot. And then through there, the youth pastor, you know, would invite me out to youth group and then Bible study. By the way, this is all leading to that one question you asked like 45 minutes ago. <laughs> Why he brought you to to the cartel city? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, in November, uh, I won't mention the year because I'm old. Uh, no, so November 2021. So we're going back. This is like literally before social media and stuff. Um 2001. 2001. What yeah. did I say? 21. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. So I've been a Christian for more than two years. So, yeah, we're going back <laughs> in 2001. Sorry. Yeah, that's horrible. Uh, thanks for correcting me. No problem. I would have confused everyone. <laughs> it would be really another amazing story about how you became a speaker so fast in two years <laughs> during COVID. <laughs> how did you get all these Christian speaking engagements when you had no idea who Jesus was? Uh, yeah, so 2001. Uh, okay. Sorry, my, my fault. So uh, 2001 in November. Um, during at, at the end of small group, Rob said, "Hey, I'm planning a mission trip down to Mexico." Does not mention a city name. Even, even if he did, I would not have known, you know, anything. Right? Um, I actually had no idea what a, what a mission trip was. So when he said, "I'm planning a mission trip down to Mexico during March break," all I heard was March break in Mexico. Sure. So there's no snow. Yeah. Get out of, you know, you know, Canadian winter, you know, or the spring, which is still cold and whatnot. And uh, I'm literally looking at it as like spring break, like a week-long youth group event. Um, and this is how silly I was. Like mission, like a mission trip. This was around the time where Mission Impossible was really cool. So I thought it was just like the theme of the week, you know, Mission Impossible theme in Mexico, a mission trip to Mexico. That's how, that's how naive I was, right? Um, so he makes this announcement. And I walk up to him after Bible study and I said, hey, I know I don't really go here. I know I'm not really a part of the church, but I would love to sign up. Like, can I? And Rob was just like, yeah, like sign up and, you know, you know walk me through all the steps over the next few weeks. And uh, so it was March. 2002, not 2022, <laughs> March 2002, um, a few months after, you know, the Bible study, you know, I fly down to Mexico. Now, to understand my lifestyle, yeah, I was attending church, but my life outside of church did not change. So we had to be at the airport, I think at 4.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning. And uh, so my, my perspective was the night before Friday evening, it was literally, well, I'm away for a week. So I probably won't be getting, I won't be getting high yeah. for next week. Let's get high Friday night. So I'm showing up to the airport, like not completely, you know, into it. I don't know how they let me on the airplane, but whatever. That just shows you my lifestyle. Just very weird. Um, and I remember my buddy I was, you know, doing stuff with, Matt, like I got high that night. I'm like, oh, I'm going to Mexico in the morning. And he's like, he thought I was just stoned out of my mind. Going, I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, in Mexico yeah, yeah, now. Mexico, sure, yeah, yeah, I'm in Mexico <laughs> now. And uh, and like, a couple of days later, he came to call on me. And I remember my, my, my dad was like, oh, no, he's in Mexico. <laughs> and Matt's like, oh, <laughs> he was telling the truth. So anyway, that's just my, my lifestyle, right? Yeah. So uh, 
for some reason get to the airport. They let for some reason they let me on the airplane and uh, fly down there, and it, it changed my life. It changed my life. So Rob did a really great job showing the love of Jesus. He did a great job investing in me, bringing me out to church to help me get familiar with maybe the Bible a little bit and just the Christian culture. Um, and I think I needed that. And, I, and we all have different journeys on how we come to Christ, right? And I think for me, just being a kid that did not trust anybody, I think Rob was aware of that. So if you just, maybe if someone has trust issues with people and just going into a story about, by the way, we just met, here's the gospel message, Jesus loves you, you should trust your life in his hands. That might not work for everybody. It, yeah. At least for me, I don't think that would have worked. So when I went down there, um, a couple really cool things happened. But each night, there was actually another person um, who was booked to speak. And this was a guy named Robin from Alberta. So he was a part of this mission organization. Uh, again, I'm not sure who was on the planning board to say, hey, let's go to Mexico and let's go to this one city that's run by the drug cartel. But, uh, but Ro- no, Robin the part of this. So Robin is, a, I think, was a youth pastor in Alberta. They book him to do all the speaking. So, so what was it? Was it like a, was it like a retreat? Was it like yeah, a, a partnering question. with another yeah, so ministry we, it, in Mexico? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so what we did was, uh, yeah, we, uh, we partnered with a mission organization and we went down there for the week. We stayed in an orphanage, you know, and it was an active orphanage. So we have orphans all over the place running around. Some of them lost their parents to the drug cartel. That's actually really, really depressing actually. Yeah. Um, and then where the orphanage was, uh, we kind of built into like a hill almost. So when you're sitting like in the courtyard in the orphanage, you kind of look up at a hill, which looked like it was full of garbage. It looked like a garbage dump. Wow. And you start realizing that's not a garbage dump. Like those are people's homes. They just grab whatever they can to build a structure. And it was way different than Toronto. Not much different than Scarborough, but you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Scarborough wasn't that bad. Uh, but, but it was different. So that just opened my eyes. And I, I remember a moment down there, I think everything started clicking. So um, I remember sitting there looking at these children running around with no parents and looking at, you know, people living in pretty poor conditions. And I realized being from Toronto, I have every opportunity in the world to succeed in life, to make something of my life, to do something with it. And I realized I'm wasting it. You know, here a young, I could have, I could have been in a much different situation, born in another part of the world and not have the luxuries that I have in front of me. And here I am wasting it just by doing drugs and partying and not trying in school and not thinking about what life could look like after. So that was a big moment. And I mentioned a few things clicking. Then another thing that clicked was that pastor from Alberta, Robin, every night, after we did work, so we worked in the orphanage and then we did different projects during the day. So we'll go to a different neighborhood and help them paint the fence. Welcome to, you know, short-term missions. You know, like, you're probably not saving the world as much as you think you are. I always think short-term missions are probably more for you than it is for, you know, the people you're helping sometimes. And I don't mean that to be 
negative, but the running joke was uh, one night, one day we were painting a fence. The next day you have kids that don't know anything building a wall with bricks. And the running joke was the locals will probably have to come in afterwards and take it down and rebuild it the right way. <laughs> you know, so so it, it was a running joke, but they were very grateful to have us and we were showing love and whatnot. And it was a really great experience. But sometimes I feel like short term missions with people who have very little talent or skill to offer. Yeah. Sometimes that might be more beneficial for you. And it might be for the community. And again, I, I'm careful how I say that. Now, three month mission trip, mission trip might be way different. Yeah. Or if you're going down there with more of a, an agenda to share the gospel and evangelize, I think that's a little different. But we kind of went down there to see a different part of the world, really, and just do a, a few good deeds. Yeah. So after a long day, Robin from Alberta, he asked the same question every night. Where did you see God today? I'm still quite new to all this. Someone put their hand up. Oh, I saw God in this situation working through this person. And I'm just like, that person's crazy. Like, what the heck? I was there too. Like, God was not there. I'm thinking like literally, physically, I saw God. Yeah. And then someone said, oh, I saw God in this situation. We're looking for a hammer. There wasn't a hammer. And then, you know, um, after looking for 20 minutes, we found a random hammer in a garbage can. And I saw God in that situation. I'm just like, these people are nuts. Like, these are the ones that are high, not me. You know, like, <laughs> I just did not understand it. And he asked that question every night. And um, there was one particular night where, um, well, not even just one particular night. I think the next couple of days, I'm, my eyes are open. I'm going to look for God today. You know, like Pokeroo from Polka Dot Door. Like, I'm going to see him. I'm not going to be, the, I won't be the one who misses him. By the way, I totally dated to myself. Everyone, like, like what, what decade were you born in? Yeah, I'm um, with you, bro. <laughs> I hear you. <ya. laughs> so, um, so one particular evening, I was too shy to put my hand up when he asked, where did, where did you see God today? Um, someone put their hand up. And I don't remember the exact answer, but... Whatever they said, that would have been my answer. And that's one, another thing that clicked that week where I was like, huh, maybe I am getting it. And then on a Wednesday night, Robin from Alberta um, does a full gospel presentation. Um, and this was the first time I think I've heard the full gospel message. I heard a little bit of Adam and Eve over the few months of being in church. I heard a little bit about Jesus across sin. I don't think I heard it all together in one message. Mm. Now, in hindsight, the people Robin was speaking to, um, your assumption is they're all Christians that were paying a couple hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, whatever it is, to give up their March break, to sign up for a Christian mission trip, your assumption is everyone probably is a Christian. For me being a speaker now, I don't think I would have done a what I would call a basic gospel sermon to a group of missionary Christian kids. I would have just assumed everyone there has some relationship with Jesus. So I look back in hindsight and just go, wow, that's brave of him. <laughs> You know, because 99% of the people in that room would have been like, I've heard this a thousand times. So he's sharing this message. And I'm just like, 
what? Like, this happened, and Jesus did that, and, you know, I'm like, it's all of a sudden making sense. And then at the end of service, he does an altar call. If anyone wants to give their life to Jesus, stand up and come to the front, and he, he was tape, he, like, taped the cross on the ground, and, you know, come to the cross, and like, give your life to Jesus, and and I knew, like, this was for me. Mm. Um, here's the problem. I'm still a high school student, and your reputation matters. <laughs> I'm looking around, and, like, no one else is going to the front. And I was so embarrassed to be, like, the only person who had to make that decision where I chickened out, and I stayed in my seat. And poor Robin probably thinking, oh, I probably bombed that method. No one gave her life to Christ. <laughs> like, you know, like, but later that night, I went back to my room. I started, I started praying and I'm just bawling. My reputation done at this point. Um, and I just made a decision on my own to give my life to Christ. And I, in that prayer, I said, God, I'm done doing life my way. I want to do life your way. Um, it literally was like a 180, you know, I accepted the good news, accepted Jesus as my savior, also accepted the reality that I need to make some lifestyle choices and changes. <laughs> um, the things I'm doing when I go back to Toronto, I, I can't do anymore. Um, now, random, I mentioned Robin from Alberta who gave a great gospel message and no one responded. So he, as a speaker, when that happens, you know, you're human. You're probably like on the way home at some point going, why did I, why did I do that message? You know, I, so long story short, um, that was 2002. So I might get the year wrong, but in 2017 or 2018, I'm booked speaking at a church and I'm in a lobby. It's kind of mingling. And I see this guy in a lobby. I'm like, where do I know this guy from? I'm like, Oh my goodness. That's Robin who wow. gave that gospel presentation in Mexico years and years before. So I walked up to him. I'm like, hey, what's your name? He's like, hey, my name's Robin. I'm like, any chance in 2020, uh, 2002, I, keep, I don't know my days or my years, <laughs> in 2002, any chance you were in this city in Mexico and you gave a gospel message? And he goes, I don't think so. I'm like, what? How do you forget that? I'm not sure how often he would go down there to speak. So I'm like, no, like, this Garbo church was down there. You were down there. And, and I started refreshing his memory. And he's like, oh, yeah, that was me. And I'm like, bro, I didn't respond to your message on the spot. But later on, I responded to that message. And I gave my life to Christ because you so clearly laid out the good news of Jesus. And he's like, oh, my goodness. He was just amazed by that. And it was really encouraging for him. Yeah. Um, and then he did not realize I was also there to speak. <laughs> so it was just really bizarre. Like years later, that, that this would have been, yeah, maybe 14 years later, give or take. The guy who was once teaching me, now I'm the one speaking and yeah. speaking in his life or whatever. But it was just a really amazing situation where I'm like, First of all, I'm not sure how he forgot that he spoke in Mexico. I, I don't know. That's usually something <laughs> someone might remember. But but when I refreshed his memory, it was amazing. It was so cool to be able to, to share that with him and go, hey, you have no idea how God used you that night when you were faithful to him, to a group of Christian church kids, saying, I'm going to do a clear gospel message 
and do an invitation. That's risky. Yeah. Um, but he was obedient, you know, in a time of prayer and planning and prep. Unfortunately, he did not realize until 14 years later. <laughs> um, that message was impactful. It was impactful. It was really amazing. So yeah. anyway, that's how I ended up in Mexico. I thought I was signing up for Mission Impossible spring break trip. Um, that's not what I signed up for. And I actually had no idea what I was signing up for when it came to what the next journey of my life would look like after I gave my life to Christ. Yeah. If you told me, here we are um, 20 plus years later, uh, never in a billion years would I have expected God to take me from a broken kid in Scarborough, kicked out of his house, empty and all that stuff, to now full of life, um, full of love, full of hope, and also with the good news in his hand. Never in a billion years would I expected to be on this big tour and sharing Jesus with people and, you know, being used the way God's using me is so awesome. And, and I really do believe the reason I do what I do now is because of what happened, you know, in my life. You know, someone being very clear, sharing the gospel message, you yeah. know, and, and someone like Rob, the youth pastor from Scarborough, being very intentional about walking with me and building up that relationship and showing me love and showing me the character of God and being patient with me. And, and for me, both that, both of those things went hand in hand and weirdly enough, just with my heart, that's who I am as a person. Like I, I love people and I bring a lot of that into my ministry, um, like the Rob approach, but then also the Robin approach where I go, it's not just about loving people. You know, and I think that's the challenge with Christianity sometimes when we talk about outreach, when we talk about evangelism. I don't, it's not just about doing nice things or doing good deeds, you know, and, and I think you need that. Yeah. But I got some atheist friends who are much more loving than I am. Yeah. And doing many more good deeds in the world than I am, but they're not preaching Jesus. So I think the good loving part of ministry and being a person and a Christian, I think it's vital. However, I, I don't think it stops there. I think at some point there needs to be some clear gospel message presented, whether it's on a stage, whether it's you with your buddy or that person in a coffee shop or on a street corner. Yeah. Um, and and let, let them know like, Hey, I'm showing this love because here's what it's rooted in. Yeah. And, and whatnot. So it's funny how Rob and Robin, the approach they took, are able to really combine and really um, make that a huge part of my ministry. But it did come natural just, just with my personality as well. So um, anyway, that was question number one. I'm sorry for... Okay, so we got what? time for one more. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Uh, um so, okay, I really am curious to hear about uh, how you became a speaker. So you got, or obviously you went to school, I know you went to school for business and stuff like that. You took that, you ended up uh, becoming an ordained pastor and you told us in the green room that you pastored for a while at a church. So what what brought you out of being a pastor and, and into the role that you're in now as a speaker mm -hmm. in Two minutes. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I'll do this short. I'll do this short. Um, so after I gave my life to Christ, end of high school. So I was, I was already enrolled to study business. Um, 
nothing in me thought, hey, now I go into ministry. So I studied business. And when I was, when I was studying business, um, I threw a resume into the church I became a Christian at. They were hiring a summer intern. They, for whatever reason, said yes to me. And I had my first taste of ministry for the, you know, the, the four months, you know, doing university stuff. And near the end of August, I, I just knew ministry is where I want to go. Now, ministry is very broad. So what does that mean? That mean a lifetime youth pastor? Does that mean you want to lead a church one day, parachurch, evangelist, speaker? So I, I spent the next couple of years... Um, getting more education. So I eventually ended up with like eight years of post-secondary education and, and Bible training and Christian leadership and whatnot, um, just trying to equip myself. And during that time, I would pastor in churches. But uh, what I would actually do is I realized there weren't many full-time jobs for people like myself with no experience, very new to Christianity. Um, so what I did, I used my business background and I would approach different churches in Scarborough and go, hey, like, I can give you five hours a week. I can help you start up a ministry. I can help you start up a youth ministry or an outreach ministry or whatever. So during that time, about seven years, give or take, I helped start up quite a few ministries for churches. And during that time, when you start something up, there's no budget to hire a speaker. So I had to do the teaching. Hated it. Like, I hated the speaking part so much. The people part I love, the business aspect, the entrepreneur part of ministry I really loved. Speaking, hated it. But during those seven years, give or take, um, that passion started growing to speak. And it just came to a point where I really felt God was just shifting in that season, shifting my passion and focus and just showing me a different road to go down. I love that. Yeah. I love how you have a passion for business and doing this, but you don't really want to speak. But meanwhile, God's like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to show you what you're going to do for me. You know, it made no sense. Yeah. It made no sense. And, and, and another thing too was, which really made no sense at the time. Um, again, not to date myself, but this is before social media was a big thing. This was before there's a, you know, their podcast or where you can really see some of these really cool people out there doing something similar. Like really you had no idea who doing what you knew Billy Graham. And you had a flip phone. Yeah. And you had a flip phone. Yeah. My <laughs> razor flip phone. Yeah. My Motorola razor um, with like the one pixel camera or whatever it was, you know? Um, so crazy. But yeah, you really, I really had no idea that outside of maybe Billy Graham, I had no idea people are doing this or could do it. Um, especially in Canada, which is a little different. Yeah. So that was when, when I felt God was putting it on my heart. However you describe that, that's probably the easiest way to describe it. Maybe there's another way to explain it, but I feel like he put it on my heart. The passion started growing and um, to just point me down that direction. And then the other thing around that time was um, the Christian music industry. I'm not really a musician. Like I, mean, I grew up drumming and I played in some band, but I wasn't like a musician, musician. Um, 
in other words, I wasn't good. You know, probably a better. <laughs> I had fun playing, but I wasn't. There's was no career set out for well, me. You can play this kit if you want no, after. Perfect. Yeah, yeah. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> the guy's horrible. <laughs> he wasn't kidding. He wasn't. He's, he was. He's dunk. Um, but as a speak as a speaker, I still remember. It's so weird. I was in my bed, and I had playing like um, listening to Switchfoot. Do you remember them? Yeah, yeah. No, they're still around. Yeah. Um, and, and it wasn't like a God spoke to me in an audible voice, but it really just kind of had like a vision of like, not just being a speaker, but being a speaker in that type of world, the Christian music industry, which made no sense at the time. And I don't, I don't think I really even put that as a goal or a dream, but in hindsight, I look back and remember that moment very clearly. But around that season it really was he focused more on the speaking so it took me probably another three or four years to get to a point where hey maybe i can actually focus on this full full time so that's when i stepped away from the pastoring um world to focus on the traveling and speaking world and i really thought you know if i could do this for two years that would be amazing and then come back into church ministry or parachurch organization and, and do something with more structure or whatever. I was thinking two years would be great, but I also had so much peace in making this decision where if I fell flat on my face three months in, whatever, I gave it a shot. Here we are 11 years later, full time and talking about the Christian music industry, like I've teamed up with Switchfoot many times and doing these events where they're headlining like the stage. Like it's insane to be a speaker and have all these great opportunities in the Christian um, music industry, which really just means it gives you a really cool platform to speak to a very broad group of people. Depending on what band they're coming to see, it doesn't mean everyone's Christian. It doesn't mean everyone... um, has made a personal decision to trust their life in Jesus' hands or, or yeah. to accept him as your savior. So it's a really cool opportunity when you have a very broad crowd to be a speaker, but not a, motiv- not a motivational speaker, like a preacher. You know, I'm a pastor and I have those opportunities to share the word of Jesus and, and in some cases invite people to follow. Um, it's insane. It, it's just so cool to look back in hindsight. And that's when I do the switch foot thing. I remember years and years before that being in my room, in my bed, listening to Switchfoot and going, I remember that moment where I just kind of, not to say had a vision, but I can picture it back then. And then 14 years later, whatever it was, when you do all the math with us, being on stage with Switchfoot and 15,000 people and being that speaker, like, wow, it was surreal. It was surreal. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so... After that, that, so this ministry, the rock house ministries is you created that just for these speaking engagements or tell us about that a bit. Yeah. So the rock house ministries, um, when I started the speaking, I was doing stuff with different organizations and, and I felt this was an easy way to, you know, develop some umbrella and really if I'm being, if I'm being honest, the reason I started the rock house Ministries and chose that title rather than Mike Ministries or whatever. It was also to take my name off it, you know? So it's not just, oh, Mike just highlighting himself. He was a broader thing. And the Rock House Ministry was based off the scripture, building your house on the rock and hearing the word and doing the word. And 
also I got a rocker style as well so like you know I, th- I thought it had a couple of cool meaning to it but it really was to take my actual name off the ministry so I wasn't the focal point yeah um but then also because I was partnering with different organizations and churches it's kind of easier to bring all that on un- all those partnerships under one umbrella um rather than doing 10 hours here and this and that or here's a partnership for three months or whatever it was so um it's really just my way to um add a little structure <laughs> to what i was doing and give it a little more credibility and that end up being registered as a not-for-profit in canada and america and, and all that stuff but it's really just an umbrella and, and that umbrella it still exists today i'm still operating under that um but there's a bigger dream you know and um you know, to help maybe bring other people under that umbrella at some point. You know, if you're an inspiring speaker and don't know where to start or who to come under or no one's willing to take a chance on you, maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe even even if you're a Christian band or musician, you know, maybe there's a way that you can come under this umbrella and we can plan some tours and with the hope of being Christ-centered and sharing Jesus We'll see what happens down the road. And when I say down the road, we might be talking about 10 years down the road. But um, but with the Rock House Ministries, yeah, there's still that umbrella and I think a bigger vision long term. But in this case right now, it's just my simple umbrella that I do ministry under and share Jesus under. Yeah. So, dude, when we were we were chatting in the green room there about different festivals that you spoke at or um, you've spoken for different uh at different concerts for different bands. And you were talking about how, depending on what the band, like what they want to present of the gospel truth or whatever, um, or if they want an altar call and stuff like that. Uh, how do you prepare for all those different messages? And speaking of this tour that you're, this is kind of a two part question. Cause you're coming up on a tour now where you're going to speak almost every day. Do you have like, do you just let the spirit flow through you, man? Or do you have like a, sort of a, a topic that you're going to speak on and you're going to speak on it for three nights or what do you do? Yeah. So, um, yeah, two parters. So to kind of show more behind the curtains of how this world works. Um, a lot of times if I'm booked to speak at a conference or, um, someone else's tour, maybe it's a band running it or a different organization that's bringing a band in or a festival, whatever it is. Um, not to say my job to do what they want, but in some cases it is. So they might say, hey, we want you to do a very clear gospel presentation at this event or this tour. This other tour, hey, we want to focus more on people's identity in Christ or whatever. So they will share what they expect from me. And that's where it comes back to myself where I go, okay, is that what I want to do? You know, um, there's been a odd time where they, someone might say, Hey, we want you to speak on this. And I go, I don't really speak on that, you know, or that's not where my heart is, or maybe there are better people who can speak on that topic. Um, the way our culture has been over the last couple of years, obviously mental health is a big conversation. Um, there's many times I have people asking me, Hey, you know, we're doing this festival. We're doing this event. Can you do a mental health talk? And I say, no, it's not because I don't believe it. I don't feel like I'm equipped to do that. Um, And sometimes I give them names of other people. Like, hey, this person will be way better than me. So if a group 
said, hey, here's our heart. Here's what we want to accomplish during that 30-minute talk. If it's something I feel like I can handle and do the right way, do the right way and it really lines up with where my heart is, um, I say yes and we go for it. But you know, there's the odd opportunity where I'm like, ah, maybe not, you know, and, and, and not in an arrogant way. I just feel like there's probably better people who can take that opportunity and do a much better job. So um, that's kind of how it works behind the scenes. Now, sometimes a festival will just say, do whatever you want. You know, um, and that kind of leads into when I do a tour, for the most part, when I do a tour, when it's my own tour, which I'm on right now, um, I have more or less complete freedom to what I want, what I want to speak on, but sometimes harder. <laughs> sometimes it is easier when someone says, Hey, we're doing a series. Can you jump in on this and talk about James chapter four? Or can you do a gospel message or can you talk about whatever, um, when you can talk about anything you want, I think you really have to be in prayer, um, especially on a tour where when I do my own tour, I kind of focus on one theme. It might be four or five, six different variations of that talk. Yeah. But I kind of tell people, here's my focus. Here's what I feel like God put on my heart over the last few months of, you know, prepping. Here's something I feel like can help people, you know, um, now, most events I speak at are Christian events, um, but that, that doesn't mean everyone there is Christian. So when I say help people, you know, it's not just a, oh, is it going to help that really strong Christian who grew up in the church? I try to keep it a little more broad, you know, um, thinking of who I was as a kid, you know, and, and, and or as a teenager. And, um, yeah, so this tour that I'm on right now, uh, it really was God what do you want me to share? Um, what's beneficial? What can show your love? What can obviously share your truth and your good news in some way, shape, or form um, that connect with people? So it's nice when you do have that flexibility and freedom, um, but but it's also hard because you can talk on anything. So how do you get in tune with God and the Spirit and you know in the Word and, and the Scriptures to really go out of everything we can talk on? I think for the next three months, this is something that is of God and not just myself going, oh, I think this, you know, makes sense. You know, I really want to make sure this is of God and uh, and whatnot. So I don't know. At that point, you, you know, you kind of follow the lead of the spirit. And I hope the tour, like I, I'm more on the God side than the mic side, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, I know God can use myself regardless, but, you know, I want to make sure it's not just me doing my own thing, but yeah, this is what God wants. Yeah, well, that's cool, because you're, you're right, because I was the same. I was at places, and you can't assume that everybody's a Christian. Uh, Skillet, Flyleaf, some of these bands, to be non-Christians would go, because they're good bands, right, and wouldn't know, and, and even sometimes... You know, a kid gets invited to a church because there's girls and good sports and the promise of a risky mission trip. Yep, and, <laughs> so, and somehow God works in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so true. So um, now you're you're fixing. Do you want to talk? Well, actually, first of all, before we we, we do this, I'll, I'll just say this: um, the Rock House Ministries. Um, dot com dot ca yeah i just use my now that's where i kind of contradict myself so <laughs> that's the ministry i do everything under yes to take my name off it right 
where I contradict myself. Unfortunately, my website is my name. Yeah. <laughs> so my Mike. website is mike-gordon.ca. Right. Um, I know that's weird, but someone called me out on it a while ago at a speaker. They said, no one knows what the Rock House Ministries is. Um, so when they're Googling, they're not going to Google Rock House Ministries or search for you. They might Google my name. So I contradict myself a little bit, but you know, I do have my website with my name in it. Yeah, a little easier to find me if you're looking for something, but yeah. So check that out, friends, because you can see some YouTube videos on there of uh, of Mike speaking. So the Rock House Ministries or Mike-Gordon.ca, and also your Instagram handle. Yeah, that's official, Mike Gordon. And the reason that's official is because there's someone way more popular than me who has my name. And uh, I had the one who's up, not official, not official. So I had the one up if I say no official. Um, yeah. So uh, <laughs> it is what it is. Uh, yeah. Official Mike Gordon. Um, that's what it is right now. And and then the other thing is the person has the basic, you know, again, too much information. A person who has like just Mike Gordon with just that beautiful handle. It's a real estate agent, and I messaged that person over and over and over, going, "How much money do you want for me to take it off your hands?" Um, no, I don't have any money. It's not the problem. I was hoping it'll be like twenty five dollars or something. And and the person goes, "No, I, I really like it. I want to keep it." I'm like, ah. "Anyways, right now it's official, Mike Gord, and it changes every few, every little while. Sometimes um, at one point it was Mikey Pooh Bear." Um, which was really great until I was on a TV show and they asked for my Instagram handle. And I was like, yeah, um, it's Mikey Pooh Bear. <laughs> like, like, what? <laughs> and then like, my handle comes down on the, you know, on the bottom of the TV uh, screen. So Mike Gordon, follow him at Mikey Pooh Bear. And after, <laughs> after that, I'm like, okay, I need something maybe semi-professional, but... <laughs> It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. All right, man. I just, uh, we got a few minutes left here, but I just wanted to throw that out um, just in case the third question goes a little long. <laughs> <laughs> just in case it follows the trend of the first yeah. two questions. <laughs> no. Um, bro, did um, did you want to talk a little bit about what we were talking about in the, in the yeah, green sure. room? Yeah, sure. I'll do whatever you want. Yeah. yeah. So so let's just talk a little bit about what, what you're hoping for at the end of this tour. Yeah. So, um been doing the speaking stuff for a while and in the green green room we were talking about you know where where i'm living right now right now i'm living in my friend's basement which is great i just sold my house and uh living in the basement while on tour so um the big picture will be well you know why did you sell your house or why temporary in a basement so um God has opened up a really amazing door, ministry-wise. And, and to me, it's only of God, because it makes no sense. Yet, it makes all the sense in the world. It, it's so bizarre how to explain that, but sometimes where it just seems so right, but you know, without God, this would not have happened. So, um, a long, long story short, during COVID, you know, I went from doing about 271 speaking engagements to the next year, COVID, lockdown, I had three or four in like Saskatchewan because they were like, they didn't close, you know, like good old Saskatchewan. Um, <laughs> so during that time I was like, God, what are you, what are we doing? You know, what's next? Right. So I did more education during the two years of COVID started thinking maybe I'll work toward a doctorate and I don't know, I'm not sure who that helps. Maybe, maybe it might help, you know, and, but really it was me going, 
let's equip myself even more. And during that time, asking God, if you still want me to focus on speaking, um, I think you might need to help open a door because I don't, I don't know what the next step is. Uh, everything's locked down and shut down, and I'm not sure what the church world looks like after that. Um, or is it, hey, Lord, maybe here's a transition season, and I go back into pastoring or ministry startups or whatever it is. So during that time, it was going, God, show me. And like I mentioned uh, in the green room, I started a conversation uh, a mutual friend. He talked about this group in Nashville who represents like Skillet and, you know, for Key and Country and Casting Crowns, Michael W. Smith, Bethel, you know, a lot of these big Christian groups. And they mentioned, hey, I think they're thinking about putting together a small speaking roster of just a few speakers. And um, so I kind of had that inside information. Now, I've teamed up with a lot of those bands before, well, all of the ones that I mentioned, but it's one thing to team up with them. It's another thing to have the same people representing you. So long story short, I said that 12 times. Conversation started. Yeah. <laughs> it's been one long story the whole entire time. Uh, there's no short part at all. Uh, <laughs> so good. So a conversation started about eight or nine months later. Um, I'm just going, God, I think this is making sense. You know, just with my heart, my passion, my dream, the opportunity. It seemed like a door was opening. But I'm also human, which means maybe I got it wrong or, you know, life is just life. Because I know they're talking to hundreds and hundreds of different speakers. I'm sure all of them probably thought this opportunity was right and for them, right? So, um, so I'm trying not to get too excited, but also going, wow, like this is this conversation getting going longer and longer and we're going further down that line. And, and then what happened was um, last year they sent me a quick text message and they said, uh, Hey, can you jump on zoom, you know, in 10 minutes or whatever it was um, or for a 10 minute conversation. I'm like, yeah, I can jump on in like 30 minutes, whatever. And during those 30 minutes, I'm like, they are going to be polite and they will just tell me, bro, it's been great. You're Canadian. We changed our mind. You know, like, I don't know. I'm thinking like end of the road and they're just, you know, being kind to let me know, yeah. not, not leaving me hanging. So I jump on and I remember praying to God when you hit like that little, like, you know, join the zoom meeting button and it starts like kind of doing what it does before you log on. I'm just like, God, don't, I don't want to, Please don't make me cry. I don't want to cry on the screen. I'll cry after. Don't, don't, I don't want to cry. Like all my hope is in this, right? Um, I hope in God, but it's opportunity. It's a lifetime opportunity. And, uh, yeah. just don't cry. Don't cry. And then like, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the person popped on screen and they go, um, just jumped into it. Hey, what are you doing next weekend? I'm like, I'm speaking three times, like Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, they go, well, if, you can make it work. We want to fly you down to Nashville. Um, we want you to come hang out with everyone, our team and staff, and we have a hundred questions to ask, but we want you to meet everyone on Friday. Saturday, we're going down to Bridgestone Arena. We got Skillet. We got Colton Dixon. We got a few KB. We got a few people down there. Um, are you able to do it? So this is sounding really positive and good. So I said, hey, let me send a few text messages out to the places that had me speaking, and then I'll get back to you. 
So we end the Zoom call. And I'm just like, oh, God, this is positive. Literally, Lord, thank you. So I text everyone right away. I thank God. Literally, I knew these churches very well. And all three of them responded like almost right away. Oh, Mike, yeah, take the opportunity. We'll, we'll rebook you. We'll figure it out. Like, you'll be dumb not to fly down there and, and do this. So I flew down there. I think I had seven meetings on the Friday with everyone from the president to, like, the entire staff to the 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 man uh tony who was running the the speaker part of the uh of this uh group and uh and uh it was really weird then we did the bridgestone arena thing that was really cool uh met some saw a lot of good friends we were all backstage just hanging out just kind of how it was and and uh it felt right and so i came back to canada the next day and then uh then they called me and said hey we met with the team hey, we want to sign you as one of our exclusive speakers. So you'll be one of the five or six that we sign. And, and uh, it's just a, life, a life-changing opportunity. And, and that also goes back to maybe going back to my bedroom, you know, uh, 14, 15 years ago, whatever it was, um, listening to Switchfoot and going, I feel like God's calling me to be a speaker, but also maybe a speaker more focused on the Christian music industry. Mm. Um, it's it's bizarre. And, and, and that's why I just go, I think it really is of God. Uh, I really do. So that's the opportunity that presented itself. So I officially signed with them and now I'm just doing all the paperwork to, to get down to Nashville and make that my home base for the next season. Um, and just trust God to see where that goes or how we can use me in a way to share Jesus in the type of environments. Like we said, to a very broad crowd that come from different walks of life and, so we'll see how that goes, but everything, everything to this point seems like it's all a God thing. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and I'm still the same kid that was in my room listening to Switchfoot, just going, you know, I got a passion. I'm going to do everything I can. I'm going to work my butt off, but also trust God every step of the way. And, and uh, we'll see what the next journey looks like. But in the meantime, I'm doing this coast-to-coast uh, tour in Canada, saying bye to everyone uh, while speaking and sharing Jesus. Um, and if my visa is not approved, we'll be doing the same thing in the fall. <laughs> we'll be doing an encore goodbye tour until they finally accept me down in America. But, yeah. but that's what's happening right now. I think it's a great opportunity to share Jesus really is what's happening. So, yeah, well, that's awesome, man. And hopefully, uh, you could be the Robin to, uh, some, some people down there, man, when you're, when you're speaking well, and up here on this tour, of course, as well. Yeah. Yeah. But America needs more help, right? I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. I got a sense of humor. I got a sense of humor. No, but it's so true, though. I can be the Rob. I can be that person who says, hey, maybe it makes no sense to be sharing a gospel message on this Wednesday night. Yeah. But I'm doing it because I feel like God's calling me to do it. Yeah, you're right. That changed my life, and maybe God can do that with myself. Hey, it makes no sense to share Jesus in this environment, but this is what God's leading me to do, and God literally knows what impact that could make. Yeah. Never thought about that, but that's actually really cool. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, man. That's awesome. And thanks for coming in before, before, uh, you embark on this big tour, the timing worked out for this too, right? Because if you're going coast to coast, then, uh, it's so much better to, to have an in-person interview than like, I mean, zoom's cool too, but this is just way better, right? We have fun in the green room and awesome. 
Now we're gonna hang out. We're gonna hang out, and you have a, you have a really cool dog as well. Yeah, yeah, your German Shepherd. She's the demon hunter. Yeah, that's why we leave her outside. Because if you're carrying something, you won't get in. So you won't good. get in the studio. Oh well, dog was very friendly to me, so that was good. Oh, then you're clean, bro. <laughs> I love it. Awesome. Um, yeah, man. Thanks for coming in. Um, I always have a question at the end, and then we just we just tune out with. Uh, Nathan Kirshner and our Disciple of City band. Um, just, uh, oh, just knowing, um, knowing that uh, you're you're speaking and knowing that people aren't necessarily have heard this message before. Um, and you, let's say you get somebody that comes up to you after, uh, after one of these speaking engagements, a kid, and uh, maybe just looks at you, but just by looking in their eyes, you know you can tell that they were like where you were when, when you were a teenager um, and they don't really say anything. Right. But they just sort of give you that look because they have a question, but they don't know what to say. But at the same time, your, your vehicle's ready to go. So you just got like a minute. What do you say to them, man? Yeah. So what I say in that moment is, uh, and you're right. It, sometimes it is a look, right? So what I say in that moment, will say, Hey, listen, like ask for their name, introduce myself, you know, although they heard me speak and I try to say, Hey, what's your story? Uh, or, Hey, is there a question you have? And when they start unpacking that within a minute and whatever it is, if they are part of that church, that's another thing I try to find out. Hey, are you part of this church? Or, Hey, did a friend bring you like, is there a connecting point? Cause that's the person I want to connect them with, you know, cause I might be heading out to another city. Yeah. I can say, follow me online and send me questions, which I do, or if you need prayer, but I try to go, hey, who's the center person uh, or the middle person? Um, is it your friend, youth pastor? Let's bring them into the conversation. And hope is when I leave, that person can be the one that walked with them or help, you know, uh, disciple them or bring them along. But um, as much as I would love to be that person, it, it's hard when you're, if they're in Manitoba, you know, you can't really be that. And uh, I think I, it took me a while to realize you know, God has put people in those roles to pastor. And I feel like my role sometimes is just more to sow the seeds. And uh, I let the pastor do the pastoring part and discipling part. And, and I'll tell that kid, they'll do a much better job than I can. So embrace them, walk with them, and and uh, let them pray for you. Mm-hmm. That's awesome, man. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thanks for having me. Yeah, appreciate it. Was, it was fun. I like it. Thank you. <laughs> appreciate it, bro. <laughs> Yeah, again, friends, uh, check that out, uh, the Rock House Ministries, and, and see uh, Mike speaking on the YouTube. And that was uh, interesting what he said at the end. You know, sometimes we want to try to find the answers for somebody, but we know we're not going to be around or in their neighborhood, and we can't always have all the answers. But sometimes we just need to be a seed or a watering can and help to connect those people with somebody else that God's put in their life that's right there where they're at. And if you're somebody who gets an opportunity to share, don't be deceived by the enemy that your audience has already heard the story. You never know who's listening. Be blessed, friends, and we'll see you next week.